This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Sports the Max is on the air. Joining us on the John Schuster Caldwell Banker Hotline, Jared Nunes. He grew up in Hopkins, Minnesota. He's ascended a coaching career and it has uh, has stopped right now and for some time has been at Baylor University where last year they were national champions. On this night, he prepared to win a national championship against Gonzaga and uh, Jalen Suggs at the time. Uh, this year, they made another bid down 25 points to North Carolina in the second half. They came back and tied it. The game went to overtime where North Carolina won it. Baylor was on the cusp again. And certainly he understands what we're talking about tonight and beyond. Jared, always good to visit with you. Thank you for joining us tonight. Thank you for having me, Mike. Appreciate what, it. What is it like on the day that you... Now, I'm going to get into the fact that you played during the COVID era, of course, last year in a minute. But forgetting that, it, it, it's still you're playing for a national championship, which you've always thought about. What's it like when you wake up on championship Monday? Um, A bunch of different emotions. Um, a little bit of nerves, a little bit of excitement, uh, a lot of adrenaline, and then just waiting for the game because, you know, obviously the, the game happens later on that evening. So just a lot of nerves, a lot of, a lot of anxious feelings, and just ready to, ready to get the ball tipped up in the air. What, was it a lot different because of COVID and the, and the lack of fans and therefore fanfare last year? Or, or do you get locked in enough that you don't see that? Well, how does that feel? Uh, pretty locked in. Um, there actually was a pretty decent amount of people, uh, fans, at uh, the championship game. Obviously not as many as there will be tonight, but it was still a, a good amount of fans. So, um, But during that time, once the ball is tipped and you're just so focused on, you know, as coaches, what you can do to try to have your guys prepared and the players get locked in as well. So, you know, you hear the fans, but you try not to focus on that. Do, do you think a lot about, Hey, this might be my only shot to do this. Does that enter your mind much? Oh, absolutely. I mean, nothing. There's so many great coaches, great teams that, you know, haven't won a championship and, and have maybe only won one championship. So, you know, when you're in that moment, you, you definitely want to take um, full advantage of it and, and seize the opportunity for sure. You were up against a young man named Jalen Suggs. Uh, who people, of course, sure got to know pretty well, and he made the shot last year in the NCAA tournament to beat UCLA in the semifinals. You were very familiar with him, having recruited him, known him. Uh, you know, you you know everybody in the basketball world here in Minnesota and beyond. Jared, what, what was he, what was he like to prepare for when he was a freshman last year? A lot of headaches. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of headaches. A lot of late nights. Um, great, great player. Um, outstanding young man. Um, very, very difficult. Um, to scout because he can do so many things. Um, very, very athletic, great passer, 
um, didn't have many weaknesses. So it was it was definitely a challenge uh, to game plan, not only for him, but for Gonzaga. He, I ran into his father the other night at the women's final four. I saw him a couple times last week, Larry, and uh, he was paging Paige Becker's mom to tell her to just enjoy it. <laughs> and, of course, uh, Paige had been there before, but having good, been through the shot with her, his son. And, of course, Jalen and, and Paige are good friends uh, as well, so it was kind of fun to, uh, to see that camaraderie uh, between them. So now you get in the game, and you get to that point in the last few minutes where you know it could really happen. What are you thinking on the bench? And I always think this, Jared, as a coach, are you thinking just don't suggest anything or do anything that will screw it up? D- does that enter <laughs> your mind at that point? Uh, you know what? The, the one thing that kept entering my mind was this clock isn't moving fast enough. <laughs> um, that was the main thing. You just can't like, believe how slow it seems, huh? Yes, you know, and even though we, you know, we, we had a, a, a decent lead, you know, we're still looking at the clock like, man, I swear it just said five minutes, like five minutes ago, you know yep. what I mean? So you just constantly just want that clock to go down. And then once, you know, you start getting close to when you know it's over, you just start thinking about, you know, everything you went through during the year and um, how much your kids put in, how much, you know, as coaches time we put in and just that you won the last game of the year. Like, I mean, no, nobody really gets to understand that feeling outside of people, you know, when the NIT and the national championship. And so there's usually, you know, two teams that can say they got that feeling. That's a great feeling. Jared Dunas is our guest. Jared, do you reflect or is that more a player thing when you start thinking about, you know, I know your father, of course, Al very well was a great player himself. Do you reflect upon, boy, he brought me to the gym when I was five years old and I'm hope I'm paying pops back a little bit of that. I mean, does that go through your mind? A little bit. I mean, he, uh, you know, he always likes to remind me that uh, he was the the star and the coach in the family. But, but no, I mean, anytime you have a chance to just kind of continue on a uh, family legacy um, and follow behind my dad's footsteps, that's always um, a proud thing for me and a proud thing for him. You ask him though, how he didn't get that central team to the state tournament, okay? No, I, I try to stay away from that. <laughs> it's a famous story that I like to share with Al from time to time. Yeah. So now this year you come back, you got a good team again. And and uh-huh. during the regular season, I was just talking about how it, you don't feel the same intensity or fanfare here in Minnesota for college basketball that you used to. Now part of that is the fact that the Gophers haven't taken us there. They haven't played hardly any big games. So they've won two NCAA tournament games in the last 25 years. You know, both uh-huh. first-round games, obviously. They got bounced the next one. And that's as far as they've gone. And it's hard to develop generations of basketball fans if you don't go deep into the tournament every three or four years. They haven't. What is it like at Baylor and on the on the campuses in the South and where you play? Do you feel like there's a heavy fervor uh, for college basketball? You're not very far removed from some of those one versus two matchups, you know, pre-COVID as well when you were playing Kansas. Uh-huh. Um, so you mean as far? Yeah, as I mean, just- do, do you feel are, are they big crowds and do you feel the, the the is it great atmosphere this year post-COVID for Baylor basketball wherever you go? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, going into I would say probably every game we had on the road was, you know, I think everybody's kind of Super Bowl. I mean, when you're the defending chance, you know, everybody wants to, to knock you off and, and you usually get their best game. So uh, there was multiple arenas that we played in that was sold out. And, of course, our fans are great. So we played in front of a lot of um, home court sellout arenas. So the excitement of the fans is something that you just can't replace. And, I mean, it just impacts 
college sports, not only basketball, but all sports, football, baseball, everything. So uh, fan participation is, is what makes college so, so great. Okay, now you're one of the few programs that's seen both these teams, Kansas and North Carolina. Uh, let's start with your North Carolina game in the NCAA tournament. You're down 25 points. And I'm watching this, and I can't believe it. I thought, God, North Carolina has really found them. And all of a sudden, they're chipping away a little bit, and there's another three, and oh, their guy gets thrown out of the game, and you're watching, and you're going, yeah, I better keep watching this just in case, just in case Baylor makes a comeback. Yeah. And the next thing, and all of a sudden, there's an and one, and it's a tie game. Explain what happened to me, uh, happened in that game, that second half. Well, I think it's just, um, you know, it's kind of what we've been through all year. It's just a credit to our kids and our staff because this year was difficult for us with, um, you know, a few injuries to our key players and just the resiliency that we've shown. And our guys had a lot of heart and fought. And, uh, you know, it was amazing to, to come back. Um, the emotions in that game were incredible. Unfortunately, I felt like if we could have just, you know, got over that hump and took the lead, yeah. you know, maybe the outcome could have been different. But just the fact that our guys, kept fighting and that just is testament to them all year and kind of year we had that was what it felt like it felt like though if baylor gets the lead it's over and and, and you get everything except get the lead that right. day. Now, now explain north carolina to me because they are hot cold like that and you're not quite sure what you're going to get uh, as you as you handicap them the night against kansas what do you see um well obviously their one through five is as impressive as any team in the tournament um I would say if they have an Achilles here, which I don't know if they do, but I would say their depth. I mean, they don't play um, a whole lot of, of players on the bench. So um, if one of those guys, you know, they almost had an unfortunate injury last game, and he was able to come back. But, you know, if they're in foul trouble or, or, you know, God forbid they get an injury, it might be tough for them to overcome that. Uh, but those, that starting five is about as good as you're going to see in college basketball. Now, there's one, you, you went to Hopkins and started there. There's a kid named Kerwin Walton that doesn't get in much right now uh, that, that uh, from Hopkins has played for North Carolina as well. He, he was a great player in high school. Not a good player, a great player off the charts. I've watched him train in the summer. He's unbelievable. Let's just say hypothetically a kid like that, there's an injury, a kid like that has to go in. Now, you know they're super talented, and you know they haven't played for a long time. I'm sure you've had oh. this scenario play out at Baylor for time. How do you try to get a kid comfortable that you ask to do a lot? Boom, right now. What? What is, is there a secret sauce as a coach to try to get that kid? You know he, you know he's really good, talented, but he hasn't played for a long time. Um, there's not really anything that you can do other than, you know, make sure that they stay prepared. And them as a player, the person as a player has to make sure he's prepared and ready. Um, and just anytime your number's called to be as prepared as you can be and, and, and take advantage of the opportunity if you get it. And it's a tough situation to be in to, to, to not have played or to not know if you're going to play or to not have a lot of experience or repetition during the year. But you just the best thing you can do is stay ready for that opportunity. And now here comes Kansas, who you know well as well. They looked really good in the tournament. Give me the scouting report on the Jayhawks and what North Carolina would have to do to negate them. Um, extremely well coached. Uh, Coach Self is one of the best in the country. Um, run a lot of good things offensively. Uh, I think the number one thing you have to do if you're North Carolina is you have to, you have to eliminate transition points. Uh, you have to get back in transition, and you have to guard the, you have to guard the three-point line. Uh, last game, you know, obviously they show that they can shoot the ball. Uh, they got three or four guys that can really shoot the ball effectively from the three. And I know they haven't been shooting it great in the tournament, 
uh, but they're capable. They're more than capable. So I would say transition um, and make sure you guard the paint. And the one thing, you know, Self does with his guys, they all like to drive and they like to get in the paint. They like to drive right. Um, so I would say you got to load up in the paint and make everything tough for them. What I see when I see Kansas, what I see when I see Baylor, is you alluded to it a little bit there, is is the um, you got to play really hard on defense to be on the floor at Baylor or Kansas, but on offense you also have to play with great confidence and passion and 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 be aggressive. And, and I think this is my guess. You can expound on it. That kids like that. They like to have permission to be aggressive offensively, especially if they're going to work so hard on defense. Is that in part what you try to impart on your players? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think you know, and Coach Novak. Uh, well, my coach is at Hopkins. Yep. He's always yep. sure you need to play with the poise and intensity of a championship team at all times. So he would say poise on offense, intensity on defense. And if you can get your guys to, to be aggressive, uh, controlled aggression to where, you know, they're they're being aggressive, but they're in balance, they're making good decisions, um, that's what you want. You know, you don't want guys out there second-guessing themselves or questioning if, you know, they should take a shot or they should be aggressive because that usually is what um, mistakes happen after that. So, if you can get kind of the, the, the balance of the two, that's when you know you have a really good offensive team. Now you get the Brown kid from East Ridge High School and a prep school to come down to Baylor, and, and he looks like there's a big upside, huh? Yeah, yeah, he is huge upside. You know, he actually is uh, is entering the – he's going to be entering the NBA draft. Yeah. Um, so we're really excited about that. Yeah, he had an and he, he's year. projected to go where? Because he's pretty high, right? Yeah, he's projected to be a mid-first-round pick. Um, so we're really, really excited about it. Uh, he's such a great kid. He worked really hard, and uh, we wish nothing but the best for him. We're going to follow him uh, every step of the way. So uh, just excited, t- exciting times for him and his family. Now, he's not the first Eastridge kid to end up at Baylor University. Freddie Gillespie did as well. One of the greatest stories in all of basketball. We had him on a couple of, uh, about a month ago. Uh, from Eastridge, he got hurt there, ended up going to Carleton. Your father... Uh, through the uh, uh, lady that he knew, Freddie's mom said, what, what, "My son's interested in playing Division One basketball. What, what can he do? He's big enough, but he's been hurt." And, and, and he got him a kind of a tryout, really a walk-on opportunity at Baylor because you were there. Uh, and he ended up playing in the NBA, but he also played some huge games for you guys when you were number one in the country and all that went into it uh, when he was a senior in college. What was it like? To, you know, you're talking about Brown, who projected well along Gillespie, who came from nowhere. What was it like? To to see him watch his dreams come to fruition. I was amazing. You know, I think he's probably uh, one of the hardest workers we've ever had at Baylor. Um, just the work ethic and the time he put in at the gym um, to really, you know, develop his craft. And, uh, you know, he kind of started from the bottom. Um, but just his ability to learn, to, to work, to ask questions, and uh, just really love uh, doing the dirty work. And I think the the dirty work has helped him uh, get a chance to have an amazing uh, basketball career so far, and hopefully that can continue for him. Jared, always appreciate it, sir. I hope I see you when you come up here, but I'll be sure to let your dad know that I think you're the top coach in the family. <laughs> I appreciate it, Mike. Thanks a lot for having me. You bet. Jared Nunes down there at Baylor where they win games on a regular basis. Al Nunes, his father, has been a guest in the show, really an articulate uh, uh, smart guy about a lot of different topics we like to have him on frequently. When we come back, 
Mike Krzyzewski's final game uh, we've seen. He made his name made twice here in the Twin Cities. Following one of those, he came back and he spoke at a banquet a week later for Mr. Basketball. And I had a chance to ask him a question that I always wanted to ask him when uh, when he came back to Minnesota. I'll tell you what the question was and what the answer was because it surprised me when we come back on Sports to the Max. Welcome back, Sports to the Max. You're home to the Twins and the Timberwolves. Timberwolves tomorrow night against Washington. Twins uh, scheduled for Thursday afternoon, the home opener. We'll talk to Larry DeVito, the man that runs the grounds crew, uh, about what the conditions are of the field right now and going forward on Thursday. Uh, coming up here shortly. Uh, Mike Krzyzewski coached his final game for Duke. We all know that by now. And it was um, an emotional, I think, emotional for people that even didn't like Duke watching him because, you know, I always said, I hope a lot of people don't like me because maybe that means I'm doing something right. You, You never, ever hear people complain about the worst coach in the conference. Fellow coaches will always talk about uh, if, if there's a really bad program and and, and uh, you know, et cetera, they got they got to show respect. So they'll say things like, "Oh yeah, he's a, he's a great guy. He'll get her going." Well, they know he's not a great. You know, he may or may not be a great guy, and he's not going to get it going. And so and so they flower them with compliments. And and then if you hear that, especially if you have private conversations with them, many, most of the criticism will be directed to the person that's at the top, and they'll explain the flaws that this person has that's at the top. I think it's human nature. I think that goes across the board for broadcasting, reporting, um, everywhere. Uh, politicians, everywhere. Who's ever the top of the food chain gets criticized the most. And certainly Mike Krzyzewski gets criticized just because it's Duke. Because you can't figure out anything other reason to, to, to criticize him except because uh, you don't like Duke. But he won two national championships along the way here in Minnesota. And uh, both those teams were really good. Christian Leitner uh, led one of them before he got drafted by the Minnesota Timberwolves. That became a special um uh, a draft pick because people have seen him at the Metrodome. Um, and and after one of those, uh, a guy named Billy McKinney, who used to be the general manager of the Minnesota Timberwolves, uh, had a connection with Mike Krzyzewski. I don't remember why, but somehow they, they were good friends and connected. Obviously, they're both in the same game. And uh, he asked Krzyzewski to come back and speak at the Mr. Basketball Banquet in, in, uh, in Minnesota. Maybe he had even booked it before they, they'd had this you know, storybook thing where they won the national championship in uh, uh, in Minnesota. Uh, and, and, and I don't know if that was connected at all. I think he, he already had it arranged with them. Krzyzewski was already, you know, a, a renowned national coach. So anyway, Krzyzewski comes back and, and, and he speaks at the uh, at the banquet. And he's really good. And and we have a chance. There's only a few of us there that were in the media that, that would cover an event like that. So we have a chance to, to, to talk to him and ask him questions. And so I thought I was pretty smart. I was a young reporter, right? And I, and I, and I figured that I, I'm going to impress the old coach, right? Show him that I've got some, uh, uh, a little bit of insight into this game and, and what goes into it. So I says to him, I says to, to, to Coach Krzyzewski, I says, you must, Duke must be good because you recruit kids that really want to be successful. I watched that team and, you know, you got kids that really want to be successful and that must be the reason that you guys are so successful is that you get kids that really want to be successful. And he, and he laughed. He laughed, man. He laughed. He said, are you asking me, do we recruit kids that have the will to succeed and want, want to be successful in life? Well, yeah, that must be the reason you win, coach, right? Because you get these kids. And he laughed. He said, what you're asking me is do we recruit kids that want to be successful? He said, have you ever met anybody in your life that didn't want to be successful? He said, I've never met anybody in my life that didn't want to be successful. 
not the point. The point is, you have to get the kids that are willing to do what it takes to be successful. They don't just want it. They're focused on the sacrifice, the commitment, the discipline that it takes to get it. Yes, they have to have ability. Yes, they have to have some of that. You know, there are gifts that they have to have. But they can't just want it. Because you can sit on the couch and want it. Will you go out and shoot free throws in your driveway when it's 95 degrees and there's nobody there to tell you that you're a great player or to report about it in the local newspaper? That kid doesn't just want it. He's willing to do what it takes to get it. Aha, uh-huh, said the young reporter about the veteran coach. So he's assessing people not just on their talent level. He already knows they want to be successful. He already knows that they're talented. Now he needs to know, are they willing to do what it takes to be successful? Now that's a pretty good life lesson in about 30 seconds. When we come back, Larry DeVito, head of the grounds crew for the Minnesota Twins. How does that field play? What would constitute, I guess, what would it take to create a rainout situation on a given day? Uh, Short of lightning. We'll ask him about all of the above when we come back on Sports to the Max. Welcome back, Sports to the Max. The Twins won 2 to nothing here on WCCO earlier this afternoon. Max Kepler, a home run. Miguel Sanoa, a home run. Uh, Bailey Ober, pretty good in the start. Nick Gordon collided with Kepler in the outfield. It looked bad. It, it sounds like Gordon's okay. Uh, we'll keep you updated on it. Joining us now on the uh, John Schuster Caldwell Banker Hotline, the one and only Larry DeVito. He's in charge of the grounds and more over at uh, Target Field. That means it's been an interesting uh, winter and spring for him, uh, not just because of the uh, the spring that hasn't occurred yet here, but he also had to deal with the uh, uh, Winter Classic and keeping uh, keeping the uh, ballpark in tune uh, after uh, after the ice came out. Larry, thank you for joining us. Hi, Mike. Good to hear from you. So, so you know, when we talk, you heard the forecast there. Uh, when yeah. you hear that, does it does it even concern you much, or is technology and, and your knowledge so good uh, that rain is, is uh, almost a second thought uh, because you know how to drain that and work with that? We do know how to deal with it, but, you know, the weather, it, it dominates my life for six months, 24-7. Mm-hmm. So we've been watching this forecast since last Thursday. Um, we're, we're, we're trying to deal with it, trying to figure it out. Regardless, you know, my job is to have the field ready for, for Rocco to have workouts if we're not playing and, uh, you know, or play a game Thursday. You know, whatever happens, happens. Uh, where does the cold enter in uh, in terms of how it affects uh, uh, what you work on in the turf? Uh, it, yeah, it, it slows it down a little bit. I mean, the grass is relatively green. You know, it's been in for mm-hmm. two to three weeks now. Uh, I just got done spraying a little fertilizer in the outfield, and um, we're going to get a couple of days of rain here. We'll see what happens. So I think by the weekend it's going to look pretty good. I, you know, it's not going to look perfect on uh, Thursday with three days of clouds coming up, but I think by Saturday, Sunday it should perk up quite a bit. So, so like where you sit, when you anticipate three days here of rain, maybe off and on Thursday some, what does that mean when you go to the office tomorrow and, and you look at that forecast? How, what does that mean you do over the next few days? We manage the tarp, and we uh, just are ready for, you know, potential, you know, guys need to use the bullpen Wednesday. Um, if if people need to get on the field, we got to be ready for that. 
Uh, if we do get breaks in the weather, either Wednesday or Thursday, and and Rocco wants to bring guys out to work out, then we'll be ready for that. And, and if um, like your major, let's say let's say it's raining on Thursday and they're thinking about playing the game and it's a cold rain, uh, the tarps over the infield. Do you worry at all about slippage or footing in the outfield? What what would constitute a concern for you? No, no, I, I think I think the temperatures being above freezing and with our, our field heating system, the, the traction should be should be pretty good in the outfield. Um, you know, we've got the the field heaters that set at about sixty eight degrees, which uh, with some heat loss on top, it ends up at about sixty two. So our surface temperature is is pretty good. And re- so really then, I mean, what, what you're talking about, because we're not going to see lightning when it's this cold or a thunderstorm like that, what you're really talking about now is just uh, comfort- comfortability for the crowd, right? Because you, you'll be able to play the game on Thursday. It might take a little, maybe there'll even be a delay, but you, but you could play the game, right? We could play the game, absolutely. And in, in fact, probably our, our, our biggest challenge this time of year with the cold and the rain is, is uh, you know, getting the warning track turned around real quick without the tarp on that, but it, it drains pretty well, too. So we're ready for whatever comes our way. Larry DeVito, our guest, has groundskeeper for the target field, of course. Larry, what, what was it like to deal with the um, uh, the NHL and the Classic and, and the Winter Classic, all that went into it? What, what was it like from a, uh, a, guy, a guy that <laughs> watch you, watches his beautiful garden be transformed into an ice rink for a few days? Well, a lot of it was very, very annoying, um, and some of it was quite interesting. So um, it essentially, it's like having a, a two-week concert set up, you know, in terms of how the, the flooring went down for the field, and there was a stage at home plate, and a lot of uh, activities going on besides the rink. Um, watching the guys make the ice was fascinating, though. The science of that, I really, uh, really respect the job they did. I mean, is there potential for any damage when they do that, or are you going to reseed it anyway? It doesn't matter. What, what is it? We we knew the whole field was coming out, so we stripped the field uh, in late February and and brought in the sod from Colorado uh, about three weeks ago. We started that process. It took about six days to get that finished. Why why from Colorado do you get the sod? What's the what's the reason? Is it because it, it has to be a certain temperature before it comes here? What is it? There's a few. One one is they have a real quality natural sand at the farm. Uh, the second is they have a, a much longer growing season, so the grass is a little stronger. Uh, they have better solar radiation, more sunlight. And uh, the third is, you know, we need to be able to get it off out of the ground in the middle of March. So we're looking at March 17th to 23rd to harvest the sod. And and we really couldn't do that in in Wisconsin or Minnesota. So they take it from what's that process? They take it from Colorado, put it on a truck, and and how many days before you need to replant it? Uh, we we turn it around in 24 hours. It comes on climate controlled trucks. Uh, we get kept it at 50 degrees just to keep it above freezing, and that's how it works. And it plays pretty good right away. Or does it take it's a while? Feeling good, yeah, yeah. You know, you roll it and you you, you check the seams and. You do what you can and, and, and hope the sun comes out. What's the scariest that you've ever had in, as a grounds crew person at, uh, for the Minnesota Twins in terms, I don't know, turf condition or a, a front coming in or a black cloud hanging over? What, what do you remember is the scariest situation you've ever seen? <laughs> we've, we've had a lot. You know, <laughs> we had one last year where uh, during batting practice, you know, a storm blew up almost about, probably a half mile south of the IDS tower. And, uh, you know, it was on us before the radar even picked it up. And we, we put the tarp out 
and me and a couple other guys were out in short right field holding on to the tarp, and the gust of wind came up and took us about 30 feet sliding so, across the infield. That's not so good. like that happened. No, that was a tough day. But, but you know, for people that don't understand, th- th- there is a, a weather center there at Target Field that, that is akin to a TV weather center. It, it, there's that much technology into it. Uh, who reads it, and how does that work, and how do you communicate with them? Sure. Uh, we have two meteorologists who, who kind of switch off during the season, uh, Mace Michaels and Todd Nelson. Well, you got uh, the Mace have... man. He does some work at Channel 11 as well. <laughs> yes, he does. And Todd has TV experience as well. Uh, they're they're both really great to work with. So they're here, you know, a couple hours before the game to talk to me and the umpires and to Matt Hoy and anybody, you know, Major League Baseball, you know, needs to talk to about what our weather's doing here. Larry DeVito, last question. So Thursday, let's say they, they haven't decided to delay the game. They don't know the status of it. You get up Thursday morning at what time? And what's your first move and what's your responsibility once once you get going? Well, we know the tarp will be on that night, so the morning might might not be too hectic. Uh, the, the goal for opening day, and I think we, we reached that goal today, is when you go into opening day, you want everything done. So, I mean, in, in essence, we could play a game tomorrow. The, yep. the logos are all painted. I've got the infield ready. The mound is ready. The plate is ready. The foul lines are down. So we're ready to play. We just got the weather to get the weather to cooperate. And, and then you just got to wait and see what um – uh, you know what transpires as to you know whether or not you need to keep the tarp on and all those things. Can they have batting practice? Then it just becomes an hourly thing, huh? Correct. All right, Larry, I'm digging it, man. I can't wait to see you again out there, just casually. You know, it's fun to sit and visit yeah. with you out there. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, yeah, enjoy talking to you. Yeah, I'll see you on Thursday, maybe. If not, I'll try to make it Friday. Okay. Great. Thanks right. so much. You bet, Larry Devito, head grounds crew for the Minnesota Twins. Now think about how everything's changed since uh, we got these this open-air stadium. Think about all the things that you have to sit and consider that you never had to consider before when we had that dome. Think about that. You know, we're sitting here going, well, what's, what's the weather going to be like? When, you know, maybe I want to go on Sunday. What's it going to look like? We never used to have to think about that. And you people, you you hated the Metrodome. we got to go outside. Baseball's meant to be played outside. Is it meant to be played outside if it's only 38 degrees? I don't know, man. I'll expand on that because I've played in a few of those that are 32 degrees. And I'll tell you what comes of it when we come back. Stay with us. One thing about Minnesota. If you're going to play baseball here, you're going to freeze your kahunas off once in a while. It's just the way it is. And I used to, from a, from a television and radio standpoint, I love the Metrodome. Because the Metrodome was a great big indoor facility. And when I went out there to do interviews, I knew that there'd be no wind blowing. I knew that people would be able to access the field. And I knew, and you haven't thought of this, that I wouldn't be able to hear the jets flying over either. Which is a huge noise uh, nuisance if you're you're doing interviews. And so I used to love the Metrodome. And I knew that the game was going to go on and I could plan my day around that. And I love the fact that um, the Metrodome afforded you that opportunity. Now, uh, and, and when I played in college, we used to play a series at the Metrodome because instead of going on spring trips to play, they'd say, why don't we just get teams to play at the Metrodome? And, and, and that was fabulous. You know, you're playing where the Twins played. You're in the dugout where the Twins played. It was, it was really cool. Um, I can remember the first time that I stepped in the batter's box there. The first time I pitched there, it was really fun. But let me tell you, 
this thing in Minnesota, it gets cold. And what happens is you get backed up in games. So you got to play the games eventually, no matter what the temperature is. If it's not, if, 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 if you are not impeded by rain, moisture, or lightning, you have to play the games. And I can remember I was in seventh grade. And uh, we had had, I think, a number of rainouts. It was one of those springs. Like most springs in Minnesota, it was really cold. And so we got to a day we were supposed to play at Mankato Loyola. And it was a day um, like, what would, uh, yesterday maybe? No, it was colder than yesterday. It was like 29 degrees. And that wasn't the worst. You understand this here in Minnesota. It was windy. But we decided that we had to play the game because I think, you know, we had had some rained out. And pretty soon if you don't play one, you're going to be, you know, you're not going to get them all in, that kind of a thing. And I remember we went over there. And the varsity was playing one place. We were playing next door. And I remember Coach Hagan saying, wear whatever you want to wear, uh, you know, a stocking cap, whatever it is, uh, to stay warm. You know, we had uniforms and whatnot, but it was like, hey, I remember putting a sweatshirt on and running out to the outfield and going, you got to be kidding me. Now, I love playing baseball, but I didn't love playing baseball when it was 29 degrees and it was blowing in my face. And what my, the thing that I remember the most was when the game finally got over. I don't remember if we won or lost. I don't remember if I got any hits. Uh, I remember the feeling of getting on a warm bus because the bus driver had cranked up and cranked up the heat. And I remember walking onto that bus, and it was really warm. He probably had it like 75 or something. And it was like the greatest feeling in the world. Minnesota baseball, man, you gotta love it, right? And I can remember playing double headers in college. They'd be right now, this week, you'd be playing your your, your outside double headers. And so, think about that today, over the weekend, as soon as it got to be April, you're playing, and you weren't just playing seven innings; you're playing fourteen innings. And I can remember the feeling after you played two seven inning games, specifically of going back to the dorm, Drew Dorm at Hamlin University was where we had our food service and that's where we ate our cafeteria if you if you were uh, a dorm person on campus. And I remember going there after not one, not two, but several of these doubleheaders that were like that. And all I wanted to do was get a hot cup of coffee. And I even wanted to dip my fingers in the coffee because it would make me feel better. And I just remember that feeling going, we just did 14 innings in that stuff. And you're kind of going, you know, I love baseball, but I don't think it was meant to be played that way. Tubbsy, you played some baseball back in the day out in in western Minnesota where the wind howls. Yeah. Do you remember cranking it up a few times when you were, you know, is is that snow up against, you know, it's like it's good enough to play, but you can still see some snow on the warning track. Yeah. Yeah, there there was definitely, you know, little bits of snow here and there and you just you 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 learn you you learn to play around it, you know, and where the ground was hard if you're in the box and you couldn't dig in. I mean, young, I mean it wasn't quite like ice, but I mean, you know what I'm talking about. You like to get your your footing at least, you know, for your yeah. back foot because I mean, you need to to base yourself to brace yourself. So I remember another time as a freshman and uh, sitting on the bench for the varsity, right? And and we're playing a game, first game of the year, I think it was. And so it's you know it's one of those where we got the big lead and we had a good team and all those things. So hey, you know, Max, you're getting to bat the last inning. Okay. Well, in the cold, I hadn't loosened up. 
you know. Oh man, right so because, so you you you, right you really got to get working on it if you're going to loosen up in that kind of weather. Yeah, yeah. So you go into the batter's box, you take, it, and of course it's a ground ball in the hole, you know. And so now you got to run as hard as you can. Mm-hmm. And I can just remember my feet feeling everything, feeling frozen, and my hamstrings tight, and my coach laughing. You know, you, know? <laughs> you don't forget those. Man, it's like it should have been a hit, but it had turned into an out, and they're laughing at you, saying, "Why unhitch the plow? Unhitch the plow?" Yeah, and know? and it's like no matter what you can do it's like you can't get you can't, beat it. you can't get that warm that loose that quick yep i mean you can sit there you can have the donut on your bat and you can sit here and you know you can try and get your hips loose but uh, yeah at the end of the day it's like if the person in front of you doesn't have a long at bat guess what you got to get your gloves on you got to figure out how to get yourself in there and and be ready to go yeah, just the way it is, you know. And now when you're pitching, it's a little bit of an advantage, you know. I mean, I used to talk to Jack Morris about that. He was the opening day pitcher, I think, 15 straight years for different teams. And he loved those first couple of games because he'd just throw inside on them all day. Can you can you imagine Jack oh, a little bit yeah. amped up on opening day in that cold weather in Detroit with the wind coming off the lake? And, and, no. and he's a little bit pissed off just because he's Jack Morris. And, and now he's saying, okay. Forty degrees, perfect. Yeah, you you gotta go, you gotta go in and you gotta hit guys on the handle and yeah, and he's gonna he's going right after the handle. Right? Yeah, no, he's no. gonna make them swing at the <laughs> yeah, yeah, and 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 you knew he would do that, you know, dude. That I mean, you know, Maxie, that stuff hurts in the middle of summer Ooh. when it's eighty degrees. Ooh, I couldn't yeah. imagine. I could not even imagine having somebody like Jack wanting to come in on you when it's like, you know, thirty degree wind chill. Yeah, and, and, and on top of that, of course, you know, you and I played basically the aluminum bat era. Yes, uh, yeah, I've no, I never played wood. I always I, played, I played aluminum. I played wood when I was in the over thirty-five league. We we switched to wood, which okay. was uh, which was different. But but uh, and it stinks for sure on aluminum bat. But now you're talking about you you're, you're going to break the bat if you throw it inside, and it's going to hurt. Yeah. All Double right. whammy. When we come back, we'll talk hockey. Mike Gensel is an NHL scout. And, oh, yeah, his son scored a goal, big goal, against the Wild last week playing for Pittsburgh. And, oh, yeah, the last time the Gophers won a national championship, Mike was one of the coaches. We'll talk to him about all of the above when we come back on Sports to the Max. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.